Hi, and welcome back to Voices. This is Voices Episode 12, and this episode is Occupy Up the Rebels, and our guest is returning. Uh, Stan, please introduce yourself. Hey, it's Stanley Cohen from upstate New York, by way of the Lower East Side of Manhattan, by way of about 20 countries throughout the world, including about <laughs> eight or nine, I guess, now that I'm banned from. So how are you? <laughs> uh, Dave is co-host again. Say hey, Dave. Hi there. It's good to meet you, Stan, and looking forward to the show. I think we're going to have an entertaining hour. Not even a question yeah, in mind. We should. Okay, let's kick the show off because, like always, we've got too much to cover in an hour, but we're going to give it the old college try here. Uh, the topic for the first 20 minutes is a less than lethal massacre from two nights ago. Uh, Stan, any thoughts? <laughs> what? What? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I got a, 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 an email during the middle of the night from my partner of 20 years, 20 plus years, who is a you know a brilliant artist who's a Mohawk from Aguasasne whose you know, nephew, young kid, and his friend had just left Akwesasne to go to Standing Rock. And, you know, Joni said she had this premonition that there were going to be people killed in the next few days there. And um, thoughts? Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, one, once again we see the glaring hypocrisy of, of the President of the United States. I find it remarkable. This is a guy who has overseen... Uh, the slaughter of more Muslims than any president before. This is a guy who has overseen the incarceration of more people of color than any other president in history. And this is a guy who, in the last six months, has spent all of his trying, time trying to remake his image in his history and is, is sitting back right now while essentially local hired thugs beat and pillage and plunder and shoot and gas American citizens, young women and men, Indian supporters uh, over an economics development plan and program uh, which violates fundamental rights in international law. Um, Lyndon Johnson, who some say was born in the Klan, one day woke up and said, fuck this, and sent about 10,000 U.S. Marshals down south and broke the back of Jim Crow. If Obama had an ounce of integrity, which he does not, if he had an ounce of bravery, which he does not, it, put it this way, selfishly, if he really wanted to protect his image, because this is a war criminal who's going out with a 55% approval rating, he would turn around tomorrow and send two or 3,000 U.S. Marshals down there, shut this shit down, end the violence, and say, this is done. Uh, but he's but not going to the real? Isn't the real concern, the thing that's really uh, unconscionable here, the fact that they're doing this behind... Uh, the badge? Uh, well, but, know, but the point is they're doing it behind the local badge. Yeah, um, and as it's behind uh, an authority that's, uh, you know, using their, you know, using that authority as the means by which they can justify doing these kind of things to innocent people. Is well, no, 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 they, they, they can do that. But, but what people keep forgetting is that as the President of the United States, he has the discretion, the authority, the unilateral power to go ultra, ultra badge and shut it down completely True. and close it down. True. But he won't. Yep. I mean, this is, is largely there... local police forces, largely local police state, largely local cops, largely you know, hired guns and thugs that are battering and beating people uh, for all the world to see but not to learn of in the United States, apparently. And Obama has the inherent ability, the inherent authority to send marshals in and end it completely. But, does, but he but won't. Don't the dots connect to the Department of Homeland Security as well? I mean, the, isn't there still a, well, you know, a bigger well, picture? Well, I, I realize that. And, and I'm not being naive about this, but let's, let's not forget, my, my, my opening premise here was we're dealing with a president at this point who only gives a fuck about his legacy. He doesn't give two shits about anything else. So my appeal to Obama has been publicly in tweets and posts and an article that I'm writing right now is you haven't given a shit about anything for your entire life but your legacy. Here's your one chance to try to do something about your legacy that has some meaning and value and precedent, but he won't. And one of the reasons why he won't is because the same reason that, you know, it's funny, people talk about Clinton. 
I mean, Bill Clinton made a million dollars a speech since he left the White House. That's some two to three hundred million dollars he's made. Obama's only 55 years old. This is the guy who's coming out. He's got 20 years of one and a half million dollars a pop per speech. And that's who he's looking at. So this is not a guy who was about, even for a legacy standpoint, to fuck with the economic infrastructure and priority and future of this country uh, with the greed that is being displayed in Standing Rock. Which, And, you know, there seems to be, and I wrote an article about this, a disconnect that's going on. This is, this is not just, quote, unquote, about water rights. This is not just about the right of people to assemble, to protest, to resist, to fight back. This is about a core issue of sovereignty. This is about mm -hmm. the ability of Indian nations to make decisions about who they are, what they are, where they're going, and what they want. And we seem to be getting swept away as if the real issue here is they want more money in the plan, or it's about the water rights or a controversy over resources in the region, when it really comes down to another example of where Indians are making a determined stand, as they did in Oka and as they did at Wounded Knee in, in the 70s, to say not an inch, not a step, not a day more. This is ours. We make decisions about our land, our destiny, and our future. And that's an issue that's getting swallowed up and the scant coverage coming out of American media has really focused around the issue of resources, around water, around the environment, when it is a much deeper issue. It is a much more fundamental issue. It is an issue that goes directly to the right of Indian people, whether by statute, by treaty, by history, by international law, to make core decisions about their future. And that is ultimately what is under siege and attack at Standing Rock. Isn't it ironic? It's almost as if... Right, I'm sorry? I was just going to say, isn't it ironic that it's, it's got to do with unalienable rights and the fact that we as Americans aren't the only ones that have them? <laughs> well, listen, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Indian nations are described that way in the Constitution. Indian yep. nations are described that way in legislative action. Indian nations are deferred to on a host of innocuous and meaningless and superfluous daily little stepstones. But when it comes to fundamental rights of sovereignty, they get steamrolled, whether it's by Obama, whether it's by Bush, whether it's by Donald Trump, who has, I don't know, a $2 million investment in this very plan. But that's okay. His blind trust will insulate him from making any decisions as the President of the United States. Because this is a guy of integrity whose entire life has been, you know, playing by the rules. So, you know, I mean, this, 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 this band plays on. And, you know, I, I, when I went back to sleep, having received the email from, you know, Joni Sarah. You know, the thought that flashed in my mind is, unfortunately, you know, we are a people, we are a state that only tends to react to the gross obscenity in the public. For example, while I, as a, as a no longer young guy, would like to take full credit to my participation in the anti-war movement of the late 60s and early 70s, the reality of it is what ended the war in Vietnam was Kent State. Um, because there, for all the country to see, was the glaring example of what the industrial military police surveillance complex had the capacity to, to, to do, to murder Americans. And when I went back to sleep last night, I had this perverse thought that ah, if they kill Indians, it'll be okay. But if they kill a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid named Billy Bob or, or Jeannie, well, then the shit's going to hit the fan. Because that's what we are. At the end well, of the day, happened. we remain a race-based society. Two nights ago, they almost blew the arm off of, of someone that doesn't appear to be the classic idea of a Native American. Uh, yeah, they're probably an anarchist, so it's, it's either that or it's... I believe you know, that's, it's, that's exactly the way it's being played already, and that... Yeah, we, yeah, they're, you know, black block. We've got you know, 11 minutes. They get another arm. <laughs> we, we've got 11 minutes left in this section. You touched on something. You're a lawyer and a superb lawyer. Can you kind of mention it's, it's bad enough when a when it's a thug, but when it's a thug with a badge, can you kind of talk to us about color of law? That's a legal well, concept. Yeah, well, well color of law, um, you know, it, 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 it really talks, it, it expands or it extends the notion of accountability. When, when, 
when government employees, when they enter into contractual relationships with private contractors, when they enter into relationships with black hole organizations, with security organizations that are otherwise private, when they engage in contractual relationships with them and they carry out steps or actions under color of law, which means they can be held responsible and accountable. You know, it's a double-edged sword, though, because on the one hand, they can be held accountable very much the same way if an action is carried out by a quote-unquote official actor, government actor. But on the other hand, uh, there's this concept of qualified state immunity, which traditionally protects those types of abuses. So, I mean, I've been involved in litigation against, I brought a suit against Israel in 2002, which included private arms makers in the United States and private security entities in the United States. And while I didn't expect to get far against Israel or the United States under notions of sovereignty, um, you know, qualified immunity was shoved up and thrown around that courtroom like it was, you know, just, just another good old Zionist from the West Bank. Um, so qualified immunity like color of law is this legal fiction that has evolved, which basically says, if I'm going to do the dirty work for government, if I'm going to carry out the, the, the secret ops, if I'm going to murder, if I'm going to torture, if I'm going to pillage and plunder and steal on behalf of the United States government, we've got to cover my ass. So acting under color of law. But then again, as I said, the flip side is it triggers certain statutory requirements and reviews that otherwise you can't bring against private individuals. So like with everything else in our fundamentally flawed judicial system, it can swing either way depending upon who's sitting on the bench, depending upon who's sitting in the dock, depending upon who's getting paid what. Uh, but the entire operation at Standing Rock is under color of law. There's no doubt about it in my mind. The contracts, the developments, the contractors, the security uh, is all pursuant, is either directly or indirectly connected to U.S. government decisions at the highest level. Yeah. And again, I'm going to go back to Obama. I mean, I thought it was lovely that while the circuit court was, was, you know, was, was sitting there deciding how to proceed or not, that Obama basically issued his own stay, which he can do at any time. Uh, but Obama, this is his baby. This is his boy. This is his girl. This is his baby. This is his legacy. He has sat back for the last X amount of years while this plan was developed, while it's been hatched, while it's been underway. Now, I'm sure he's walking the floors at night with that pained expression and is preparing for a wonderful speech when that first American boy or girl named Billy or Becky, blonde hair and blue-eyed, gets killed and will preach from on high about the need for us to come together. And maybe he'll even have Oprah come in and light a candle and drop a tear from her eye as she swings in the middle of the night. Because it's all about stage managing with Obama and this administration, just the way it's about stage managing with every administration we've had in my lifetime. So to get back to your question, I realized I you know, danced off to the side, color of law simply is either a good sweep or a bad sweep, depending upon who's got the power. What it is. 11, but isn't it uh, also one of the three legs of the stool of color of law, pretense of authority, and illicit financial manipulation, all of which are control frauds being used and have been used as a weapon against the people for at least the last 100 to 150 years, for sure? Well, listen, you know, look, um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure out how someone who claims to be a billionaire and one of the most powerful international developers in the world is not a member of the oligarchy. Uh, <laughs> but but, but yeah. he's, he's power to the people. But he's a working class hero. He's a populist that is going to bring <laughs> fundamental change and level the playing field for, 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 for working class women and men. I mean, somehow I fucked up when it came to the definition of oligarchy. But I guess some oligarchs are better than others. I guess just some spread their money better than others. So, yeah, I mean, look, only a naive fool or a political opportunist would stand on a platform and deny that ours has been a system that fundamentally has had a standoff between power that comes through money 
and power that comes from people taking to the streets. And it is only when people take to the streets, whether it's, it's in North Dakota at Standing Rock or whether it's Black Lives Matter in, 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 in New York City or Chicago, it's only when there is resistance, serious resistance, militant resistance, fierce resistance, when money gets the pushback, which is essential to maintain what is not a democracy but is a republic. And we keep forgetting the distinction, and it's not subtle. Because if this were a democracy... If this were a democracy, 51% of the people get the right to say that African Americans are three-fifths human beings, or women can't vote, or Muslims need to register. But in a republic, in a republic, the whole purpose is to ensure the minority is protected from the tyranny of the majority. So fuck democracy. I'll take a republic any day of the week. And I dare anyone to find in the Constitution or any of our foundation documents any reference to a democracy. You won't find it, but you'll find wall-to-wall references to a republic. Very we well have four said. Minutes, four minutes left in this section, and this isn't just the people of the United States that are resisting. This is people worldwide that are resisting. This is a human rights campaign, all of the people. Uh, is this a war crime? We're, we've, we've been building the database here that this is a military program called counterinsurgency. And we'll have more on that in the next section. This is kind of the lead-in. If this is a military operation against United States citizens, is this a war crime? Well, only if you, if you get past – I mean, if from a purely international legal standpoint, it's not. Because you've ha- you have to have, if not a de jure, certainly a de facto state of war where there's two sides. So if you accept – as a starting point that we are in, in effect in a de facto state of war between those that make the laws and those that, for good reason, break the laws, perhaps. The classic well, what case about, of, of the war... What about National Defense Authorization Act that's now created, uh, turned us into a battlefield in the United States? Wouldn't that well, somehow presuppose that it's a, war, it's a battlefield? No, no, no. Look, if, if that's the argument you're going to make, then it's been, a, it's been an ongoing war crime since you know, 1776. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the reality of it is I don't like, I'll tell you quite frankly, the reason why I don't like to spread the word war crime or crimes against humanity with a very right, wide reach um, is because it tends to end up posting a cloud around the classic definition and application of war crimes that are occurring throughout the world. And yes, the United States government is clearly responsible for war crimes in probably 50 countries throughout the world right now and should be held accountable. And that's under a classic definition of war crime. Um, Crimes against humanity, the same. Now, what, what the U.S. government is doing domestically, what it is doing to our own people, what it is doing to immigrants, what it is doing to, to the fabric of our society is, 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 is criminal, it is illegal, it is outrageous. As far as I'm concerned, it triggers a right to self-determination um, and self-defense in certain situations without you know, suggesting anything for those who are out there listening and trying to build the next indictment against me. Um, but, 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 you know, war crimes, you know, look, I, 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 there's a lot going on right now. Um, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that there's no, read to, there's no need to stretch to that point in Standing Rock or in a, a half dozen other standoffs occurring every day in the United States because under traditional domestic law, it's crimes. It's criminal. It violates the, the, the core stand. It, it, it violates this, 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 this exchange of ideas. You know, um, it, it violates... Go ahead, I'm sorry. If I, was, if I can just go back and, and hit this one more time, why is it that they conveniently, at the moments when they wish to do so, they pull us into this war on terrorism and throw up this uh, accusation that everyone in the country is a suspect uh, in the war in the war on terror. And we, you know, we can all be um, pretty much taken away at any moment in time simply by being called uh, a uh, insurgent or a uh, you know a terrorist or whatever. Um, it seems like they can conveniently use the term and, and consider us to be part of a battle or not just at their convenience. Well, um, look, if you want justice, you should move to the United States. I mean, you need to leave wherever the fuck <laughs> we are right now. No, um, I, it, yeah. But, yeah, the, the, the reality of it is that there is, there is, there is, there is look, 
Um, there are there have been at, numerous. I mean, we only hear of, of periodic attacks where there have been extrajudicial assassinations of American citizens abroad because they have been designated as terrorists. Um, you know, COINTELPRO uh, murdered how many black activists and, and members of the Young Lords uh, in the 60s. I mean, there are, there are legendary examples of the U.S. government you know, executing um, um, American citizens at home. Uh, there's no stretch to that. But if the argument is that by declaring that, you know, there are certain uh, um, discretions that are now vested in whether it's national security, quote-unquote, whether it's the surveillance state, whether it is law enforcement that are triggered by special exigencies, the reality of it is, in theory, there are still guideposts, and in theory, there are still domestically certain checks and balances which give you your day in court. Now, unfortunately, more often than not, if you're serious in what you do and effective, it also gives your day and night in the cemetery. Um, well, and so also... Yeah, I mean, um, but, but under 1021 and 1022 of that act, um, we don't even have the right to an attorney uh, or to be notified of where we're being uh, taken. So, you know, well, look, it, it, look, seems yeah, stretched, I, it seems to have stretched the ability for uh, the people of this country to be protected by the uh, Bill of Rights. Well, look, you know, you're talking about a country that its foundational document called human beings, three-fifths human beings. Yes. Um, um, I, there have been, you know, de facto attempts to once again suspend the writ of habeas corpus, but I know yep. of no example, um, you know, and I've probably done as many real and fake terrorism cases as anyone in this country the last 25 years. Um, there, are, there are all sorts of triggers and all sorts of, of subdivisions and all sorts of regulations that the reason they don't end up getting challenged is because the reason is they don't end up being implicated. Um, I've, I've never had, look, I'm not giving credit to the government. I'm not going to put a human face on it. But I've never had an example where a situation where I wasn't able to track down a client. I've never had a situation where a terrorism suspect uh, had reached out to me that as an attorney I wasn't able to get access to them. The bigger concern is simply, not bigger concern, but the more, the more clear-cut example is the assassination of American citizens outside of the four corners of the United States because, Agreed. you know, we are just, we unilaterally just call them terrorists and kill them. There's no trial, there's no prosecution, there's no, there's, there's no justice. These are extrajudicial assassinations that have become routine under the Obama administration. Again, going back to Obama, I mean, he's, he has created, he has crafted, he has initiated a, a, a state of surveillance, of control, of, of violence uh, that George Bush only dreamed of. Um, and, you know, there's an old saying that I've said for years. The problem is every time that the Democrats, um, every time the Republicans take the White House, we fight back. Every time the Democrats do, we make excuses. Um, so, you know, we have sat back for eight solid years while this president has has imposed some of the most deadly, restrictive, violent, and, 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 and criminal acts internationally and domestically of any president in history. But he's gotten largely a free pass. Why? He's young, he's handsome, he's the first African-American president. He makes a great speech. He's got a beautiful wife who's brilliant. He's got two great-looking kids. He's everything you can want in Disneyland. But in We're real time, in the real yeah, you know, in, 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 in real time, in the real world, where, where hundreds and hundreds of millions of people are, are, are in a state of crisis, where we have a surveillance network that has evolved and become part of the system that is unprecedented, forget about the United States and the history of the world, it falls all at the, at the lap of uh, Eye of a Drone. Uh, We're 23 minutes into the hour. Yeah, well, and that seamlessly segues us into our second segment in this show, uh, which is COIN for counterinsurgency, uh, foreign and domestic, which we've covered in a couple of other shows. There will be links to those. And the program that is going without being named is COIN. The word is COIN, counterinsurgency. You mentioned the old 60s version, which people keep wrong name on it because that was Stone Age. That was the COINTELPRO, which was short for counterintelligence program. And it is vital to remember that counterintelligence is only one component of the, the new organ of war. 
that can play many different notes. This is counterinsurgency. This is war against the American people domestically. This is war against everybody's people in a foreign level. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, <laughs> we're dealing in a world today that you know, trillion-dollar corporations don't have offices. <laughs> they don't get mail. They don't exist. We are dealing with a world today that is built upon the back of multinational corporations, of multinational uh, joint military agreements, of multinational cooperation agreements, where people get disappeared, where people get renditioned, where there's endless battles over whose law applies, where you almost have this, 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 this cloud that hangs over the universe that has reduced national sovereignty, for lack of a better word, especially for me because I don't recognize borders and boundaries and flags and anthems, but has reduced it to so much a chase, a chase where you're trying to figure out who you are, where you are, and how you can be held accountable. So in the world of international law, you get passed from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, um, and one of the major problems is the one jurisdiction which seems to have the greatest international support for accountability is the International Criminal Court. Uh, and putting aside for the moment, quote unquote, the issue that it seems to only find guilty people of color from Africa, um, putting that aside for a moment, uh, it's not even enforceable as against those countries that don't sign on to the Rome Statute, such as the United States, such as Canada, such as parts of Europe, such as Israel. So you have in this day and age, you know, we often talk about national self-interest. We often talk about national borders. We often talk about national pride. We also often talk about who we are as a people, when in fact it's been relegated to the garbage heap of history. So you're right. We have a system in place for surveillance, for quote-unquote law enforcement, for judicial relief and remedy that is based upon arcane notions in very much a world today where borders and boundaries and rules and regulations are ignored. When you've got Israel coming to the United States to train police departments all over the United States, what the fuck does that say? <laughs> Counterinsurgency. I mean, we've broken, well, yeah, that I mean, we've broken every rule. Well, no, 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 listen, <laughs> you said it, it was COINTELPRO. You know, Frank Church held the, 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 the commissions in the, in the 70s, and there's COINTELPRO, and there was a long and dirty and deadly history in the United States of U.S. government embracing not just um, the obvious, the, 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 the personal attacks, the blackmails, the incarcerations, but the out-and-out right assassinations. Well, we've, we've reached new skills, new abilities. We now have the ability to take care of people one way or another, anywhere in the world, anytime we want. The, the issue of rendition, the issue of black holes, the issues of torture, the issues of, of extrajudicial assassination, the, the issues of super courts. I mean, the, the FISA court, which has finally been tightened up, uh, and now instead of approving every single application for a FISA warrant, they only approve 99.9% and then send you back to correct it. As of, as of a year ago when I stopped tracking it, I think there had been 2,337 applications to the FISA court, of which 2,334 were approved. Three were rejected because they forgot to put the name of the person in. They put the name in and then they were approved. Can so we that's see the decision? Can we see the well, decisions no. of, the, of, the, of the FISA court? Well, you, sure you can, if, if, if just before you get assassinated. Is it a star <laughs> chamber? We talked in your, in your show two and a half years ago about the star chamber and why this was something yeah. we should all be concerned yeah, no, no, about. Nothing's changed. You know, two and a half years ago, we talked about what is very much real two and a half years later. We talked about, listen, when the president-elect of the United States says, I have my list of 20 Supreme Court nominees and the one issue that triggered why they made that list is because they represent and reflect my, my politics, my priorities, and my politics. Uh, excuse me, that is a fundamental violation of separation of powers and laws. At least it says very clearly that judiciary is viewed by this administration, and perhaps it's a blessing because they're finally doing overtly what they've done covertly for 100 or more years, 
we're going to make the judiciary the most powerful branch in this government by design, little more than a step and fetch it for U.S. geo-foreign policy. And I think to some degree they got the, the, the marching orders from Israel. You know, Israel raves Israel. about being the only, yeah, the only democracy in the region, uh, and they have a judiciary that defers to the military courts and all the time. And imperial that's government. This is, oh, no. this is imperial government. When, when, Absolutely. Uh, we are an occupied country. Uh, United States policy is being driven by foreign policy, by a foreign power, and that power is money, the money power. Uh, We've backed this up with several shows. We've been trying to say follow the money, like the historian uh, uh, Professor Anthony Sutton uh, makes clear. Uh, He makes it crystal clear that all three, uh, three different countries, and then worldwide from that, had their form of government taken out, and he documents it. Uh, the, the first was he documented Wall Street and the rise of Bolshevism, which was basically documenting that Wall Street paid for uh, Russia to become USSR. That stands for uh, the key words there would be uh, Republic, uh, Socialist Republic is the SNR. They, he documents that, that Wall Street paid for the rise of Hitler, National Socialism. Uh, That's what the N and the S, which is actually a Z when we translate it. And he documents that in the United States, Wall Street and the rise of FDR, they subverted from classical liberalism to liberal socialism or social social liberalism. Um, Any thoughts on that fairly quickly? Big subject. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a lot to cover in a very short period of time. Amen. Uh, if, 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 if you're asking me at the end of the day, uh, are, are are we in 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 2016 subjected to the political and economic will and whim of a handful of corporate powers, whether they be state actors or whether they be acting under color of law? Absolutely. If you're asking me whether the notion of economic self-determination has been taken to a level which now stands for economic exploitation, absolutely. But again, we are talking about, most recently, the election of a man who stood in front of the American public and said, vote for me because I've gotten over my entire life. Vote for me because I figured out how to fuck with everyone because I learned how to use the system to my benefit. So when you've got a guy running for president, in fact, elected to the highest, the most powerful office in the world, who proudly steps up there and said, I have spent a lifetime exploiting everyone and everything for my narrow self-interest, what is the message to the world? Is this a process? Is this a system? Is this a vehicle by which there's going to be, quote, change? I mean, well, well, we know the definition of insanity to be doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, uh, just kind of shows what the people of this country have become. Well, look, there is a, you know, this is, I I did a a show recently from overseas, you know, we're we're in one of those particularly dark periods internationally, where, you know, the growth of national socialism in Europe, uh, the growth of Al-Qaeda in the United States, the, the, the emergence of a 25 to 30 percent core base in this election who talk about change, but it really was about color and religion and race and belief um, and refugees and all those, those signposts of ugly. So we are in a period in this world right now, there's not a, 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 a doubt in my mind, we are entered, and you're right, you know, insanity, do it over and over and over and over again no matter what. We are in a very ugly, a very terrible period. Um, you know, perfect example. We spoke before the show of the outrage that's going on in Standing Rock, and there's no outrage in the United States. Those are the forget about forget about Indians. Well, let's let's be realistic here politically. Those are the sons because that's the reality. Because no one gives a damn in this country about North American Indians. No one gives a damn anywhere other than just powwows and you know and, and moccasins. But this is Kent State too. These are the sons and daughters of working class people, young women and men of color, 
young political activists that are being beaten and shot and gassed and jailed and set up and tortured, and the country's silent. And, and they are you know, Americans. Some, They're yeah, all Americans. Well, you know, there are some who believe we've just entered the stage that we are so numbed after 15 years of nonstop slaughter of Muslims and Arabs and people of color from Africa, the Gulf, from the Middle East. After 15 years of this, we've simply just turned the station off. We've become so inculcated to a passageway of death, of violence, of greed, of manipulation, and the lack of justice and accountability that, it, you know, we just change the channel and go back to sleep. Babe, give me another hamburger. And that's where we're at. And I think people have to make a fundamental decision about who and what they are and where they're going to go because if the brakes are not put on and put on very quickly, you know, the old saying from law school, Katie, bar the door, it's going to be very long and very hard. You know, the other issue that people forget um, is that, you know, Trump's coronation means he's going, to, he's, he's going to appoint at least one, if not two, members to the United States Supreme Court if he only serves four years. He's probably going to appoint 40 judges to various circuit courts, probably another 100 district court judges, which means, you know, whether your fondest dream, uh, he gets impeached or, you know, disappears or goes running off with his daughter to get married in two years, the judiciary which controls the face of this country will be changed dramatically in ways that will control who and what we are and where we go for the next 25 years. We've got three minutes left in this section. Uh, this is COIN, counterinsurgency, uh, domestic and foreign. Um, the, the real point here is all COIN is based on information control. That for COIN, before you can bring in the tanks effectively, before you can declare a no-fly zone effectively, you have to keep people from being able to get that uncontrolled information. Um, we're seeing a war on reporters. We're seeing a war on all the forms of information that, that aren't controlled. Um, that, what, what are your thoughts here, quickly? We've only got three minutes, two minutes. Look, I've said for, 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 for my entire life as an activist, as a lawyer, as, as friction unto the machine, the one, mag, the one majesty of this country, um, other than immigrants, the one majesty of this country is the First Amendment. The one majesty of this country has been, even with all of its, you know, its breakdowns and its evolution and all of its problems, is that we have welcomed um, the marketplace of ideas, the exchange of ideas, and it is now 100% under, under attack. And primarily it's under attack because unlike the old days, where it was controlled by six newspapers, three television shows, and two radio shows, with the, with, with, with the arrival of shows such as yours with hundreds of thousands of blogs and, 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 and Internet activists, they can no longer control it in the traditional way uh, by just controlling who buys the New York Times, who buys Fox News, who owns all these outlets. Now it's, it's ugly. Now it's, it's a very different situation. Now we have to target thousands, tens of thousands of journalists, of activists, of free speech people. We're going after, we're, we're in essence at war with the corner pamphleteer. This country was based upon the notion of the corner pamphleteer, and the corner pamphleteer now is completely under attack. Now, will people be disappeared? Absolutely. Will people be subpoenaed and be forced to choose between privilege and their freedom? Absolutely. Will people begin to close up shop? Absolutely. The real issue is if we're going to survive as a vehicle to exchange free information, to encourage dialogue and debate, to challenge the government, people are going to have to make a stand. And that stand can be very costly. A lot of us have learned it. We've got one minute left in this section, and that segues us to the final section. Uh, the last show that you did with us two and a half years ago was titled Occupy Anime. Uh, and the word anime comes from uh, A for without and nomi, law. Uh, we have taken a country that used to be a country under law, a republic, and we have seen it being turned into a country without law. Um, that's where we're headed from here. The next 20 minutes, we want to talk about what are the solutions. We, we all know there's problems. 
those of us that aren't completely got our head in the sand. Let's start coming up with some solutions. What do you see? Well, I'm, I'm, look, I'm old school when it comes to challenging the state. Uh, the, 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 the notion that we are going to evolve into a safe and equitable uh, system, uh, one in which we are free to express our positions to participate in fundamental ground-shaking, ground-changing processes, I don't buy. I've never bought it. Um, I don't vote. I don't, I don't expect that kind of fundamental change from legislative action. You do see it occasionally uh, in judicial action. I'm a guy of the streets. You know, I grew up in the, the late 60s. Uh, you know, I can still remember the first time the handcuffs were put on and the smell of tear gas on the street and pepper gas in my eye. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting, people, this is something you want to look forward to or you want to do. But I, I've been around long enough and participated in enough domestic and international movements to understand that fundamental change does not come um, through legislative action alone. Fundamental change does not come through judicial review. None of that is going to happen, and none of that is going to occur in a way that improves our freedoms and rights without being driven by the streets. I think we're at a crossroads in history, particularly with this administration, that domestically and internationally, if we do not take to the streets figuratively and literally in unprecedented numbers, it's going to be too little and too late. Legislators respond to the streets. Judges respond to the streets. The police respond to the streets, although we understand the way they respond is typically deadly, um, particularly if you're a person of color or if you're a serious activist. Um, but, but, but I just don't think the time-tested and failed notion that we can, you know, we, we, we can achieve justice or develop safeguards or proceed uh, uh, down the road of liberty by virtue of exercising our right to vote, by virtue of filing a lawsuit in court three, even by virtue of having a very healthy and robust press which I think of all is the most important, is the answer. I think it's a combination of all. And what I've learned during the course of my life is it's a combination of all that's been driven by the willingness of people to take to the streets. You have to challenge government. You have to challenge the courts. You have to challenge uh, corporate America. You have to put your lives literally on the line uh, to stand up for principles that, that, that will simply disappear, dissipate, will simply be recast into tools of repression. Uh, unless you make it well known and quickly with this administration in office right now that you intend to struggle, dare to resist, dare to fight. I mean, you've got to do this it. Is, this is up the rebels, occupy up the rebels, and that is a term that comes from the IRA, the struggles there, which was a struggle against ham-handed counterinsurgency tactics. Um, you have had experience with the IRA. It didn't work. Uh, that that that. It didn't work. Counterinsurgency never works. It's a policy that has to be changed. We're fighting a policy, not just people, but a policy. How do we change that policy? Well, we get in the streets, but we have to have a clear view of what we're dealing with. I've been shot at before to cover a story, and I'll tell you what, it does change how you look at the story. Um, oh, yeah. What, what's your advice like to, to the people who are like facing ask, that fear? I'd like to ask a question, if you don't mind. And that is, in terms of going to the streets, how do we uh, assure in our solution that the people have the right information? How do we make sure that when we go to the streets, we're doing it in the right way? Because you can do a right thing in a wrong way, too. No, I so understand. do you have any suggestions on that? Sure. That's, that's the marketplace of ideas. I have absolutely no problem. Um, you know, it's funny. In the old days, in the Lower East Side of, of, of Manhattan, down in Tompkins Square, there was a local guy, the local pamphleteer, that was called affectionately John the Communist. And John would stand on a milk box, and he would rave and rave and rave and rave about FEMA and rave about this and rave about that. And, you know, maybe one-tenth of everything John said made sense, was accurate and correct, and a large part of it came from Disneyland. But it doesn't matter. If, if you're going to make the right decisions it really means that you have to have the most access to diverse ideas. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. The marketplace of ideas doesn't work unless there's lots of ideas. Um, there are, there, are, there's debate going on right now over strategy and movements across this country. Um, some of them well known, some not so well known. Uh, the key to success in any struggle. Look, there's always going to be bad decisions. There's always going to be missteps. There's always going to be disinformation. You know, COINTELPRO and counterinsurgency in this country is based upon disinformation, leaking yes. false information, accusing people yes. of things they're not guilty of, uh, vilifying leaders and, and, and political movements. You've got to understand that. Infiltration of informants, of agent provocateurs. This comes with the turf. But the one counter push, the one counter punch, for lack of a better word to this, to a successful resistance is you've got to accumulate the most possible information you can and then look at it maturely and sophisticatedly and draw an answer. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, on Twitter, I finally had to say goodbye to this, you know, to this to a guy. You know, it's just day in, day out, day in, day out. Change, 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 change. I said, good. Change what and how? Um, these are issues, slogans. Look, this isn't about being a fucking Hallmark greeting card. Um, you know, we find incredible comfort with, with, with just terms that are on cards that you spend the dollar for in the old days to send to your loved ones on their birthday or bar mitzvah. I mean, it's fucking absurd. There has to be reflection. There has to be organizing. Um, there has to be, and, and you know, there's some tension because on the one hand, the more information you get and the wider and more diverse the group of people exchanged in the dialogue, the, the greater the likelihood of government infiltration. Um, and that's what the government relies on. So you end up with, with, with 100, 200, 500, 1,000 people, such as in Occupy Wall Street, and there were millions that are engaged in debate and discussion and taking votes and trying to come to consensus. And what percentage of them were agent provocateurs? What percentage of them were people that were sent down to lead a movement one way or another? And it's a problem. But I've got to tell you, they're, 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 the solution is struggle. The solution is getting the widest reach of information. The solution is challenging people to think based upon facts that we have and to dig to obtain facts that we don't. We've got 12 minutes left. One of those greeting card slogans, uh, freedom and justice for all. Um, mm-hmm. Some of these greeting card stick around because of a really good reason uh it's people don't think about for all it's not just for the people that have the right color skin not for the people who just happen to pass the right financial um what's your thought there this is this is all of us all of us look Look, look, this, 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 you know, look, and again, I mentioned this 40 minutes ago. We, we, we come out of, a, out of a, quote, revolution that was based upon the theft of Indian lands, upon genocide, that described slaves that built our country as three-fifths human beings, that disenfranchised women the right to vote, that we couldn't even get a fucking Equal Rights Amendment passed 30 years ago, that used Asian immigrants to build, you know, trains that train tracks across country, crisscross this country. So there, there is this this wonderful notion that we are this egalitarian place with these lofty, wonderful ideals and ideas. But the reality of it is, um, going back to the hallmark that I just you know denounced, we are very much still a, a country of one percent. Um, and what's become, um, you know, probably the greatest success the 1% has had is is sending a message to half or more of the 99% that the system's right, it's okay, it just needs to be massaged in certain ways. And so that's how you end up with 20 or 30 or 40%, who knows what the fuck this last dog and pony show, who believe that this system is designed to represent their interests. And the problem is not the fabric of the system, but the problem is all those people that have insinuated themselves into the system. The problem is rather than being blamed upon the 1% or rather than than targeting systemic inequality, what do we do? We go after people of color. We go after Muslims. We go after women. We go after political activists. We go after, you know, transgender people. We go after, you know, middle-class people struggling to make a living. Um, because they're, they're convenient targets. 
So all across this country, we still have this notion. You know, it, it's really not about change unless you're talking about systemic change. The notion that you can simply plug new leadership into a broken machine and make it healthy again is naive. It's silly, mm. but it's not by accident. Whether mm -hmm. it's Democrats, whether it's Republicans, whether it's even at times some of the third-party candidates we've had. You know, it's, 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 it's great to stand up there and talk about systemic inequality. It's great to mm -hmm. talk, stand up there and to talk about the need to control the surveillance state. But then yet, you know, 100 million people go out and pull a plug for Pony 1 or Pony 2. Um, and there were actually four I, ponies I, that they could have pulled. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That was information okay, control. People didn't even realize there were two other candidates that were on the ballot. Yeah. That's information well, another control. Hallmark, another hallmark card that comes to my mind is tied by the change of the Constitution. Um, yeah, well. I, I, my question is, are our founding <laughs> documents relevant? Do they, do they have any value in our solution? Do, you, know, it, you know, is it change versus change here? You know, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the amendments, do, does that have any relevance to, you know, the solutions that we're looking for? Are we are we past that, or what's your thought on that, Stan? No, I I have I've always been a very firm believer that there is a foundation within the Bill of Rights, and obviously the due, due process notions and equal protection notions that evolved since them, that that you know in the hands of people that are willing to to, to sacrifice, to struggle, to fight back, to enforce them, is 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 a pathway. It's the only pathway realistically we have. Um, now, look, you know, the, the countervailing argument is, you know, we, the, the, the application of the Bill of Rights has for 100, 200, up 230 years at times been manipulated between, you know, the literal application interpretation or the progressive ones. The debate is ad nauseum. It's counting angels in the head of a pin. Um, I do not believe that we can re ignore or reject or walk away from certain core Unless you're talking about, look, you know, we can have a show that talks about the need to, you know, topple the flag and, the, you know, break the barricades, you know, to the barricades, everyone, and the, you know, the complete destruction of a national identity, which is a different discussion. Uh, but, but as long as there is a social contract um, between uh, the rulers and the ruled that has any possibility of, of performance of becoming much more than a Hallmark greeting card, then I don't see it happening in the absence of two things. Uh, one is resistance, which includes, as I said, taking to the streets, and two is enforcement of, 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 of our core values and bills of rights. So when I say core values, I don't like to use the word value because it presupposes that one is superior to the other. But there are certain core values in the sense of the First Amendment, in the sense of the, of, of the 14th Amendment, uh, in the sense of other amendments that have evolved over the period of time. Look, I've, I've always taken the position that the First Amendment is the most important amendment in the history of this country, um, and, and bar none. Um, you know, notions of equal protection and due process are silly because we both know that notions of equal protection and due process are controlled by, um, by, by contemporary values and guideposts when the First Amendment has evolved over a very long period of time. Um, the big battle right now, and you're right, and this goes back to an earlier discussion, the big battle, battle right now is for people to understand the application of 200-year-old concepts of speech and association uh, with here and now. Um, the, 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 the attack on privacy, the attack on, on our ability to communicate, the attack on us to maintain a repository of our own thoughts and aspirations that are now you know, so much cheap fodder for the surveillance state is where the battle is really developing. Uh, the ability what about the, the uh, protection of our, of our ability to be, be the ones who secure our liberty ourselves versus someone else securing it for us? Well, look, no one ever says there isn't a price to pay. I mean, we are filled with, you know, historic figures that, 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 that range from Nat Turner to, you know, John Brown to Emma Goldman to, you know, it, legendary to Malcolm X to, to women and men that you've never heard of who have taken it upon themselves uh, to stand up, to fight back, and to pay the price. Um, yep. It's there. Um, and I, I have firmly taken a position forever that I have nothing but absolute respect for people who speak truth to power, and I don't have a, a limited or narrow view of what that process involves. At times it's involved armed, armed struggle. At other times it's involved insurrection. At other times it's involved 
you know, taking to the streets. At other times, it's involved occupation. It's involved many different skills. But the most important requirement is people have to go in understanding that there is a price to pay. Um, there Five is also, minutes left. Go ahead. You know, there is also an understanding that, that, that it's one thing for me to say there's a price to pay, but there's another thing for me to, to act in certain ways that requires, demands, or forces other people to pay that price. So while there are while there are militia movements in this country that stand up and say, well, we had to blow up a building, a courthouse that killed 170 children or whatever it was, because we needed to make an expression. Well, fuck you. You want to make an expression, <laughs> remember, you know, you know jump off remember the bridge. Their misuse of the term militia there too, because it's always public, yeah. never private. So, you know, we well, have to. Well, we I, have to I, the Constitution says agree? the militia of the of the fifty states. Of, well, um, the interesting thing is, if we're going to talk about militias in the classic sense, then you slip into a debate over the Second Amendment, because the Second Amendment is very clear about the right to there being a need for a national guard or militia. The right to bear arms remains a sacrosanct right. Now, you know, that's a different discussion for a different show. But That's when I'm a show we'd like to get you on, too. Well, I'd we, love we'd to love it. to have that conversation. We will. It's yeah, coming. When I'm We're talking about militia at, 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 at this point in, point in time, I'm, I'm talking about a very specific type of, of what has historically in this country been a white supremacist movement uh, that, that exalts notions of liberty and freedom at the price of liberty and freedom of everyone else that doesn't represent their view. A mob with guns is not a militia. There is a constitutional militia. Uh, A mob with guns is not a militia. And and that's that's another part of psychological warfare. We've been been led to believe, don't pay any attention to why the Founding Fathers put that in the Second Amendment. We don't have time to get into it now. Uh, We we really will want to get... Give us a reason to have you back. (laughs) <laughs> well, love to have that chat. I mean, I, I've we, had a fairly consistent position in the Second Amendment since I'm 19 years old, but we'll save it for another day. We have three okay. minutes left, and, and the real key thing uh, is, is stand, uh, taking a stand, that only slaves, yeah. were, uh, slaves were forced to kneel, only free men can stand. Um, you've spent a lifetime speaking to power. You personally know the risks and costs of speaking truth to power. How do you continue to have the courage day after day after day to keep getting up and doing it again over and over and over again? Well, look, you know, you, 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 I was born of a time and born of a family and born of a belief that saw very clearly from the very earliest days that an understanding that our journey is very short. It's very mm-hmm. narrow that we are part of a world community that transcends anthems and borders and flags, and that the key to life for me has always been to make sure that at the end of the day you've given way more than you've taken. Um, It's very brief. It's very short. We have the ability to make a profound impact in our lives, in our community, in our world. And for me, for every... Every day that I've been able to stand up and speak truth to power, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's at Oka, whether it's in criminal courts, whether whether it is in, in battling in Palestine, whether it is battling at Standing Rock, it is always, whether it's been in prison, it has always, for me, been about fighting back and hopefully empowering, inspiring, and serving as an example to the next generation who are coming up and that have to take the lead. And One minute left. And that's what will keep me going until, you know, they, they light the pyre and spread my ashes to the four corners. One minute left, and two and a half years ago we asked you, was it worth it? And your answer then was, go ahead. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. I mean, it, it's been every, every, every second of every moment of every day of every struggle, of every fight, of every argument, of every day spent in a federal prison camp, of, of every bomb that's gone off around me, of every... It has been absolutely worth it. And, and and if I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't have done a damn thing differently. So you haven't changed your mind? It's still Not worth it. Not at all. Absolutely. Isn't it, fun, the isn't it fun watching your own movie, Stan? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> hey, you have, you'll have to wait for the... You'll have to wait for the... 
for the VN to come up on the screen, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, the end. There it is, wherever it goes, whenever it goes. And I, like, I don't well, let's it. not rush that moment. In the short time, no. there's not enough free people to lose any of us. So a key part exactly. of, of, of resistance is survive to fight another day because we oh, will absolutely. fight again the next day yeah. and the next day. There are those the moments, though. There are, there are those crossroads where you're forced to go to the left or go to the right. Uh, where, you know, going one direction you know uh, may not be the healthy thing to do, but you know it's the right thing to do. And, and it is worth it. Absolutely. That's it. I don't think we can end any better than that. I want to thank you again, Stan, for thanks for standing. That's not just a Hallmark minute. Uh, standing is what it's all about, and you do. Uh, hopefully you've once again given some hope. Um, Lord knows we need all the hope we can get. Uh, I want to thank well, everybody for listening. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I, want, I want to thank you two gentlemen for once again inviting me onto the show. I look forward to appearing again and, uh, you know, up the rebels. Up the rebels.